0: Hello, DanceWell listeners, this is Ellie Kushner, and welcome to Episode 73, A Dancer's Microbiome. As you likely know, our podcast explores 360 degrees of health and wellness for dancers. Our guests are typically deeply embedded in the dance world, and our topics are often uniquely relevant to dancers. However, there are times that we explore more general health topics because we simply feel that they are vital to discuss with all people, including dancers. On these episodes, we sometimes turn to experts who don't necessarily have deep knowledge of dance. For example, at the start of season three, Marissa interviewed Dr. Vincent Racaniello, an expert in virology who discussed his profound knowledge of vaccinations, an episode that, by the way, you may seriously want to revisit during this pandemic time. Such is also the case with today's topic and guests we will be learning about the human microbiome from two experts who have copious knowledge of the topic, but probably can't distinguish a layout from a ponche. Though have no doubt, we will discuss many concerns that are specific to dancers. Doctors Hoagland and Enyello are co-founders of M2 Biome, a scientific consulting firm focused on advancing the science of the microbiome by assisting clients in translating discoveries into useful applications for health. Dr. Melissa Enyello is a microbiologist and research scientist by training and has focused her professional career on human microbiome science. She has a PhD from the University of Southern California and trained as a postdoctoral researcher at the University of California, Los Angeles. She is co-author of over 15 publications in scientific journals. Dr. Mike Hoagland is a practicing physician, biomedical engineer and digital health expert passionate about improving the practice of medicine and the human microbiome. Dr. Hoagland earned his medical degree from the Perlman School of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania with residency training at Duke University Medical Center. He is a graduate of Northwestern University with dual degrees in biomedical engineering and electrical engineering. And now, buckle your seatbelts on this episode nutrition life coach dance and performance psychological development. and today you are Family in for traction. Traction. hi hello this is ellie kushner and this is marissa schaefer from dancewell podcast dancewell podcast so mike and melissa thank you so much for calling in from the west coast i'm really glad that you're able to take the time and have this conversation with us
1: yeah we're really excited to be here thanks so much for having us
0: yeah, it's great
2: to be here to talk about our favorite topic, the microbiome.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, let's start with a really general question, which I know the general questions can be the most difficult. Um, what is the microbiome? Yeah,
2: sure. Um, so the human microbiome refers to the trillions of microbes that live in and on the human body. And so these tiny organisms, you know, uh, invisible to the naked eye, um, consist mostly of bacteria, um, but also can include other microorganisms. Um, So interestingly, these microbes are not just living on our bodies. Throughout human evolution, uh, the human body has evolved with bacteria. So it has come to this state now that our bodies are actually an ecosystem, consisting not only of our human cells, but of many different types of bacterial cells. And our bodies in this ecosystem are actually in a mutually beneficial relationship with these bacterial cells. And the interesting thing is that the earliest microbiologists 200 years ago knew that the human body contained bacteria that were not harmful and didn't cause disease, but they couldn't appreciate the full scale of it until recently. Now that we have advanced technology, we were really able to appreciate just how many bacteria are part of our bodies and all the essential functions that they perform.
0: Wow, I love that. It makes me... Um, have these really like creative thoughts of our bodies as ecosystems. You know, it's really such a fascinating idea. And you use the term human microbiome. And then we also hear about like gut biome or um, gut microbiome. Um, Should I be using a specific term throughout? Are we always talking about the human microbiome? Should we be specifying whether it's gut or human or just biome? Does it matter? Yeah.
2: So basically when we say the microbiome, we're really talking about the the microbes that are all over the body kind of in general. But we can specify by body site. So each body site, such as the gut or the mouth or the nose, has a distinct community of microbes. And so you can say the gut microbiome, and then you're referring to the collection of bacteria that live in the gut, but we can also talk about the oral microbiome, and that's the bacteria living in the mouth or the nasal or the skin. Um, There's really bacteria... Or the cell phone
1: microbiome. Exactly.
2: So (laughs) a microbiome is really just a community of, of microbes. Um, And in our bodies, we can specify by body site.
0: And what does it do?
2: Why is it there? (laughs) Great question. And so this, we can kind of uh, think about this um, if we think evolutionarily. So the human body has evolved over millennia with bacteria. And so we're at this point now that these, that the bacteria perform essential functions for our bodies. And we're still kind of unraveling that and, and learning about that. Um, but there are these essential functions that our bodies really couldn't do without the microbiome. And so just to give one really important example that um, you know has been argued that this is the most important function of the microbiome is really in nutrient extraction. So the bacteria that live in the gut help us break down food particles that our human cells couldn't do on their own and this allows our body cells to then absorb essential nutrients that we couldn't otherwise absorb and so this is one of the many essential functions that the bacteria in the gut perform.
1: They even produce certain vitamins too Mm -hmm. like vitamin k we actually need our, our bugs in our gut to to produce that so we can have a supply of that to live.
0: Wow, and you're calling them bugs. Um, I assume that's a little bit like.
1: It's a uh, it's a neutral term. Yeah, I we generally don't use the term germs that much anymore um, because we just see we're, we're kind of neutral with bacteria and and uh, microbes. So we don't look at them as as good or bad necessarily. So um, so yeah, we, we use bugs in a in a friendly way.
0: Critter critters and creatures. Critters. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's a good good one. Um so I feel like we've been hearing about the the human microbiome and the brain-gut connection, um just in like the zeitgeist as the the research emerges, but I'm also seeing it used a lot for sort of like um capitalistic gain, you know, like for selling yogurt or for promoting a fad diet. Um and those are particularly relevant to dancers who think a lot about what they eat. Um And that connection to selling things kind of makes me question if some of what we hear is pseudoscience. So what sorts of critical questions do we need to keep in mind when we read or hear about the human microbiome?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I'm so glad you're bringing that up. So because the microbiome is is a, a new research topic, um, and only in the really the last 10, 15 years have researchers started to understand its, you know, incredible potential, um, and this has really captured the media and then the general public's imagination and their attention. And so this was, it was, a, it's a really big breakthrough, and we know that there's tons of potential for discoveries and new products and therapeutics to come from microbiome research, but this is. But but that rigorous study really takes time, and the you know the public and the media their fascination with it kind of outpaces the actual science mm-hmm. um, so you know science kind of builds up on itself, so just because we have one study um that would need to be confirmed many, many times uh, over years before we really know that something is true and so it so that's just the one thing to really keep in mind is is that this is a new field and it's going to take a long time before we really see these kind of like game-changing breakthroughs Um, and the one thing and so like one topic that i kind of when i give lectures and tell students to how to critically evaluate things they read in the media about scientific studies is that most of the microbiome studies that have come out to date are really just correlation studies. So we're really just associating different microbiome types or different types of bacteria um, with maybe certain diseases um, or with certain positive outcomes. Um, But correlation does not necessarily mean causation. So what that means is that we don't really know if the, those results are a cause of disease, or if they're if it's the opposite direction. And so that's really, if that's like the main critical thing that, that the general public and consumers can kind of think about when they read um, about microbiome research in the media. And so, and less, talking about products, like you brought up yogurt and, and all these supplement products, consumers should also keep in mind that those companies are not really required to show any sort of like really rigorous scientific evidence um, on any kind of efficacy for their products before they make these claims. And so that's just something to be, you know, cautious of when when you are in the, 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 you know, drugstore and in that supplement aisle and you see all these claims.
1: Yeah, there's quite a bit they can get away with. I mean, especially things that aren't FDA approved, you know, they really have to just go by FTC regulations and so they can get away with saying things like may help support or supports may help so if you ever see like may help or or helps support um it's really not really saying much i mean you they can't really uh draw a lot of conclusions from what from those claims so they kind of just use those words to kind of navigate around the 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 science as the state of it is currently So, um, so they're sneaky. So you got to be really careful with what those labels are saying.
0: (laughs) So let's talk a little bit about function and formation, I guess the formation of, um, the microbiome and then what it does. So we'll take a moment later to talk about how it's formed and sort of what affects our human microbiome, but let's talk a little bit more first about what it affects. So, um, from our past conversations, um, I've got gathered that our microbiome really influences almost everything. I mean, you were talking about brain and immune system and bone health, and it just seemed really all-encompassing. Is, is that accurate?
1: Yeah, there's really not many things you can say that affect everything, but um, the, the microbiome just about affects everything. Uh, there are various microbiomes, as Melissa said in the body, Um, but especially if we talk about the gut, it it pretty much influences all organ systems. Um, And, you know, there is that uh, importance um, of extracting nutrients and producing nutrients in the gut, but it actually goes beyond the gut, even though that's sort of where they live. Um, The gut is interconnected to all organ systems, uh, largely through the immune system. So the human immune system is is, uh, mediated by uh, in part by the gut microbiome. Um, and the immune system, of course, affects all organs in the body and protects just about all organ systems in the body and communicates cellularly, chemically, um, by, uh, by being exposed to various compounds and receiving messages from, from the uh, gut microbiome. So, for example, all the things that you eat um, are passing through the gut and the immune system sees those things, the gut microbiome sees those things. And by see, I guess I mean tastes and um, <laughs> and uh, and reacts to everything. And so if you have um, a bad reaction or an allergy to something that could have been uh, mediated by the gut microbiome, it may have been that there was a lot of inflammation in the gut at that time when you were exposed to that substance at some time. Um, and then of course, when we talk about the gut brain access, the gut microbiome produces uh, chemicals that affect the brain, such as Serotonin. About ninety-five percent of serotonin in the body is produced in the gut, uh, which of course uh, affects our mood and our sense of well-being. And the, of course, there's a there's nerves that connect directly to the gut from the brain, like the vagus nerve, uh, which allows the gut to uh, digest and it can send messages directly from the brain to do so. So there is that gut-brain connection that's very real. Um, that uh, plays into how we feel. And then going into other systems like the skin, although there is the skin microbiome where there actually are, of course, microbes living on the surface of the skin, there are uh, messages from the gut that go to the skin um, and there's a a much stronger component of of, uh, effect to the skin through the immune system uh, because the skin is just full of uh, immune cells. So, you know, it gets very complex, but in, at the simplest level, it's really the gut microbiome talking to the immune system, which in turn talks to the rest of the body at the organ system level.
0: Right. So it's that's a great summary. It's that gut to immune system that sort of hold is the keystone for all of it, right?
1: Yeah. And if you think about it, the gut is is actually, if you think about it, it's, it's exposed to the outside world, right? So we think about the the gut, the in, inside of the intestines, the inside of the stomach being uh, inside our body. But really, if you think about it, there's a, a single tube from our mouth to our anus. And like, that is actually on the outside, exposed to the outside world. So we have to be constantly, um, interacting with what is showing up there because it could be anything that's out there in the world.
0: So could you maybe go a little bit more? I, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to go like, too deep, we could go off into the abyss, I feel like and go way beyond the scope of what most of us could understand here. But um, maybe just talking a little bit more about some of those mechanisms or like biochemical phenomenons that that tie all of those systems together. So like maybe the vagus nerve or um, biochemistry is out of my range. So I can't give a specific example there. But (laughs) just a little more like, technicality on how that all works.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and also it's it's super complex, and you know, researchers and science we don't really know all of the mechanisms yet for sure, and it's still being worked out. And and those types of mechanistic studies, understanding that are pretty are difficult to do Um, and so and because there's just so many different types of bacteria that are in the gut and in each person the community is distinct so there's different bacteria in each person and so to really tease apart how they're all working together and how that influences the rest of the body and then ultimately understanding you know what Is leading to health or disease or what's influencing um, health and disease, that's the really challenging part. Um, But basically what we know, I mean, Mike kind of went over it, is that in the gut specifically you have all of these bacteria and they're all different species. So they're all different types of bacteria and they all kind of eat and live um, in their own distinct ways. And as they are Metabolizing and reproducing and 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 um, you know growing in the gut, they're producing uh, substances. So they're producing these kind of byproducts of their metabolism. And those molecules, they're small molecule, you know, byproducts of metabolism. Each type of bacteria, each species, is going to produce um, distinct molecules. And our bodies have evolved to recognize those molecules as signals. And so those molecules can pass through the gut and, and, you know, they can communicate, they can serve as signals for our human cells, our body cells that are, you know, in the gut. But these molecules can then go into the bloodstream and then reach distant body sites. So, you know, like the brain um, and other organs. And so the cells there can then recognize those molecules and then perform a certain function based on that. And so that's really the physiology, you know, at, at kind of a basic level. And so now the challenge is on the research side working out, you know, what each of those molecules are and exactly what function they lead to
0: in the different uh, body sites. Thank you for that. Um, so now let's get into how the microbiome is formed or changed or affected. Um Food is an obvious idea. You know, you're talking about the gut, but as Mike said, it's a hole that's open. It's a tube that's open on both ends. So, what other things are contributing to our microbiome besides just food?
1: Well, the anything that could potentially reach those uh, particular niches or areas um, can affect who is living there and how much of each type of species is living there. So, um, yeah, in addition to food. Um, It could be the environment that you're in, the people that you're around. So the microbiomes of other people that uh, you uh, live and work and play with are all um, part of your immediate ecosystem in a sense, and that can affect uh, the microbes that you're exposed to and then in turn will colonize your own gut and body. So um, that has been shown to be the case with families and and friends and um, different parts of uh, different communities uh, neighborhoods all those types of uh, locations and types of activities um, climate all affect the types of uh, microbes that can thrive and survive and in in someone's gut so what you eat, of course, contributes to the environment of, of the gut microbiome, but also the chemicals that are produced by all the other uh, people and things um, and air and uh, gases around you all affect the gut microbiome. So, you know, the human body um, likes to stay um doesn't like to have wide shifts. So uh, there's a word we use called a homeostasis, like the human body likes to uh, stay the way it is in a sense. And it helps build up certain processes like having a, hopefully a diverse microbiome to resist uh, large changes in the in the microbiome. And so um, it helps build that up by being exposed to uh, the environment around itself, the, um, the, again, the food that you eat and the uh, various compounds that contribute to the growth of, um, and destruction of, of certain microbes. So um, having a, a healthy uh, diet that involves a lot of good fiber, um, a lot of uh, good uh, polyphenols such as uh, uh, fruits and vegetables, pigmented, colorful um, produce, all contribute to a healthy gut microbiome Uh, whereas uh, sugars processed foods tend to feed the species that do not contribute to a uh, healthy diverse microbiome and may of course contribute to chronic disease and so uh, we can select for and create the type of microbiome that will be more helpful to us by the things that we expose it to.
0: And you kind of mentioned this, but I was starting to wonder as you talked. Like diversity is a is an aim here, right? With the microbiomes, so like we want a diverse uh, range of critters <laughs> in our in ourselves. Um, so when you talk about like who we hang out with and who we're around and um, the environments that we expose ourselves to, I'm gathering that more range is better. Is that right?
1: Yeah, more range is better because we can then respond to uh, to insults, if you will, a little bit uh, easier. So if you do have a diverse uh, set of microbes, um, so many different types of species at various um, levels, then if you have some, uh, for example, let's say you have to take antibiotics for something. And so you wipe out, um, in addition to hopefully the pathogen or the invading bacteria, um, you tend to wipe out um, some good bacteria too, certain types of good bacteria. And so um, if those protective, quote unquote, good bacteria are destroyed, now you have sort of this uh, this crater that's created that's going to allow somebody to come in there and, and take over. And that, that somebody could be uh, another pathogen or another... Uh, bacteria that could uh, overgrow and cause uh, diseases such as uh, C. difficile colitis, which is a really bad um, gastrointestinal illness, we can become very sick, or even something like um, a bacterial vaginosis or, or candida. Um, you know, these are all things that can happen from an overgrowth by removing some of the diversity that's protecting. Um, the your ability to to thrive and resist insults from from outside influences.
0: And there must be things also in the environment that are detrimental, like pollutions or like off gassing from you know plastics. Or are there is that true? Are there things from the environment that can be hazardous to our microbiome?
1: There are, yeah. So we know that uh, exposure to smoke, um, to radiation. To um, certain volatile chemicals do affect the um, the microbiome. Um, we don't know exactly to uh, what extent and what some of the long term consequences there are just yet. But we but there's definitely a pattern to to smokers and to exposure to certain um, certain chemicals and compounds for sure.
0: Also, what about lifestyle and behaviors? And maybe here we can talk a little bit about dancers specifically. So um, dancers often lead a sort of specific lifestyle where, you know, they spend a lot of time indoors in a studio um, doing really rigorous physical work, usually in high contact with other people, although that's not the case right now during the pandemic. Um, You know, as kids, they may not be getting as much outdoor exposure or sun if they're doing a lot of training um, all day long. It's a, a field that does have high rates of anxiety and um, stress, both performance anxiety as well as just generalized anxiety. And of course, that is like trending up with all of the, you know our population that's trending up, I'd say. And, um, and then there's like a prevalence of eating disorders. We're at higher risk for eating disorders and disordered eating. So, what of these lifestyle specifications um, sort of make you think about the gut biome?
1: Yeah, pretty much all of them. So with this, <laughs> uh, this new situation that we've been in with shelter in place, COVID, and just sort of having a whole new lifestyle, it um, would you know the question is really out there as to how is that affecting our, our long-term immunity and our, and our gut microbiome. Uh, diversity, because you know we were all used to being exposed to each other, to shaking hands, to not having masks on, and to really you know rubbing elbows with everyone throughout the day, and that definitely contributed to our our microbiome and, and in turn our immune system. So now we all have this sort of totally different immune system experience, and um, that's going to likely have some sort of effect on our immunity at least until we get back into our. Post-COVID groove, um, so there's definitely some effect of of not having those uh, those exposures. Um, as far as dancers being, you know, being used to being indoors, that um, you know, the dancers that spend a lot of time together in those closed spaces definitely share the uh, share microbiomes, you know, with with each other with the with the mats and with the stage and um, all that, they are all sharing microbes, and um, those environments definitely influence the the types of microbiomes that they they, they have, so that they can, um, you know, be used to any sort of invader to that environment um, by sharing that diversity. So now that they're not having that, um, you know, when those dancers potentially get back together, then. It's going to take some time to rebuild that uh, that diversity uh, again. And um, you also mentioned uh, being exposed to sun, and uh, which is critical for the production of, of uh, vitamin D. And vitamin D is a, a very important mediator to immunity and uh, is involved in, in gut health as well. So the fact that we're not probably having as much sun exposure is going to uh, definitely affect our, our immunity as well. So the The fact that we're pr- trying to prevent ourselves from getting COVID may in turn be weakening our immune system overall uh, potentially. So it's kind of an interesting paradox. Um, and then in terms of the anxiety and performance anxiety with dancers and really any performers um, who are under a lot of pressure, that, you know, we usually sort of uh, assume that that would involve a Um, higher degree of release of of cortisol and other stress uh, neurotransmitters and hormones. So cortisol is is a steroid hormone that uh, we produce in our, you know, in our bodies from our adrenal glands. And it's usually there to help us in a fight or flight situation. But when it's around for a long time, it, it acts as a steroid does, which is an immunosuppressant. So it can definitely affect our ability for our, our microbiome to, uh, to grow and, and respond in the ways that we would like if there is a lot of stress and anxiety uh, around. And so that is uh, typically, in a chronic sense, not helpful to a healthy microbiome. Um, in terms of, you know, uh, having fasting in a healthy way versus eating disorders, both of those can affect the gut microbiome as well. Some people will use fasting as a way to help their gut microbiome, especially if they're having issues with, uh, say, diabetes or having an overgrowth of a certain type of bacteria that they uh, that is not helpful. Uh, there are some uh, studies to suggest that fasting can uh, be beneficial if it's done in a you know a supervised smart way um, in getting your your glycemic control under under control, which is of course highly influenced by the microbiome in the gut. Uh, eating disorders, of course, when that's taken to an extreme, um, do not allow your metabolism to uh, operate properly, and could allow the wrong uh, bugs to overgrow and and contribute negatively to your to your uh, your health as well.
0: Um, so you mentioned sugar, um, and you mentioned colorful fruits and vegetables and fiber? Are there other things in terms of food or um, eating habits that we should consider? um, Vegan is, you know, uh, being vegan is becoming more popular generally, and also I find among student dancers. Um, Anything like that that we should mention about the biome?
1: Well, if you think about prebiotics, uh, so you have prebiotics and probiotics. Prebiotics are the uh, the compounds that the gut microbiome tends to like to eat and consume and, and turn into good compounds for us. So, uh, prebiotics classically include soluble fibers, and soluble fibers come in many different uh, types of produce, you know, from bananas to Jerusalem artichokes to chicory to lots of leafy greens. Um, and then And those are typically fermented by the gut microbiome into helpful compounds um, like healthy fats that contribute to uh, a well running metabolism. Uh, There also are the colorful, the actual pigments. I mentioned the colorful produce because the pigments that make fruits and vegetables, you know, blue or red or orange, can all, uh, those are basically what we call polyphenols, which are basically colorful plant compounds. Those similarly are, are a type of prebiotic that can be pre, uh, consumed by the gut microbiome and, and turned into a, another helpful compound. So um, those are uh, things that the gut literally eats and turns into things. In terms of pre- probiotics, um, you'll hear about probiotics a lot, as we mentioned with yogurt and supplements themselves and being part of, uh, other foods like sauerkraut and kimchi, etc. And those are uh, considered basically live microorganisms that do something beneficial for human health when we consume them. And uh, typically they don't necessarily take up uh, residence in the gut. They're sort of like a, a tourist that um, <laughs> is, is in our body for a short time and they. Uh, often do have a beneficial effect in, in a lot of cases, and so they can benefit your immune system, your digestion, your, your mood perhaps, your, your GI symptoms, but um, you need to keep eating them for them to, to, to work uh, so they don't necessarily start a whole new colony of probiotics as many people might assume. Um, so they, they work a little bit differently than, than one might expect.
0: And in terms of prebiotics, I've heard that spices, and that makes sense when you talk about like the colorfulness, right? So like turmeric and saffron and um, that spices are prebiotics. Is that right? Yeah, so there's some studies,
2: and actually, I was involved in ah in a few studies in the lab trying to see if certain spices can enhance the the growth of beneficial bacteria. And so there's not um they're not officially prebiotics in the strictest definition because there's not enough research to show that they actually you know enhance the growth of the beneficial bacteria. But there's definitely um you know some e- preliminary evidence to suggest that they might. Um, and also spices have. Other beneficial effects in general, right, Mike?
1: Yes, they, they do. Um, uh, depending on the type of, of spice, you know, for example, cinnamon has been shown to improve glycemic index, so it helps your body uh, basically consume and, and use sugars uh, in a more efficient way. Um, the other spices can uh, help regulate your appetite and so some of those are chemical and some of those are are mediated through the gut microbiome as well and so i think um you, know, you mentioned vegan in the beginning i vegan is of course exposing your gut microbiome typically to a lot of great uh prebiotics that uh support healthy uh, healthy gut microbiome and and avoid some of the potentially inflammatory substances that have um classically been shown to you know, result in more inflammation. So uh, while it's not necessarily for everyone, um, a vegan diet certainly couldn't be a, a great diet for a healthy gut.
0: Although I, I, I want to say that it doesn't necessarily, it's, it's an assumption that isn't always true because for the um, sort of time-strapped vegan, who is really trying to, like, manage their weight, sometimes it can lead to eating a lot of processed foods um, because, you know, if they don't have time to cook and prepare the way they want to, right. they can sometimes end up with all these sort of, like, Trader Joe's nuggets or things like that.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And, the, and that's where, you know, it, it can go the wrong way um, because it, it does take a lot of effort and energy and work to do a healthy vegan or even a paleo diet, and um, yeah, if you're resorting to some of those shortcuts that involve processed foods, uh, those are super hard on our digestion and can result in you know more inflammatory mediators to be released and and um, may not be the best thing for our gut microbiome
0: Let's talk about drugs over the counter drugs, recreational drugs you mentioned smoking um and you also mentioned sort of taking oral antibiotics, but um, topical antibiotics are of interest to me because dancers sometimes um, get like foot wounds either from being on um, the ground in bare feet or being in point shoes um, or doing floor work where they're like sliding along the floor and they get a big surface area floor burn. Um, so topical antibiotics are often in use and, um, all the NSAIDs, you know, I used to take them a, l- a little bit like a daily vitamin, um, just because being sore and having inflammation is so um, problematic to moving the way we're trying to move. So any anything we should say about all of those?
1: Yeah, so antibiotics are typically, I mean, The history of antibiotics are really a great discovery. Uh, We use them, um, you know, when I work in the ER, they save lives, and uh, when they're used in the right way, they they can do a lot of good things for medicine, but uh, when they're used improperly, they, of course, cause, and they're used too frequently by healthy people, they can really set back your ability to have a healthy metabolism, immune system, and, and gut microbiome. In terms of a topical antibiotic, um, usually it's a great way to really target its its therapy. I mean, if you're if you have a, an infected wound on you know the top of your foot that's you know mild, um, taking oral antibiotics is just you know can a lot of times be overkill and just be a huge bomb for a a very localized infection. So, uh, if you're able to using topical antibiotics where appropriate is uh, a very a uh, smart thing to do. Is, is there a systemic absorption? Yes, of course there's gonna be some that enters the general circulation, but probably you know in, in typical dosing is not gonna be enough to c- cause significant damage to your, uh, your microbiome. But um, of course, wounds are not gonna heal if they're dirty and the feet are often exposed to the dirtiest parts of you know the world. And um, it's important to keep those wounds clean and Protected and using some topical antibiotic, whether that's uh, Neosporin or Mupirocin, uh, can be great for healing and can be, you know, minimizing exposure of the uh, the rest of your body to to antibiotics. Um, in terms of NSAIDs like ibuprofen and naproxen, uh, they have been shown to potentially negatively affect the gut microbiome with uh, overuse, and it. The mechanism can be complicated. Uh, it involves some uh, what we call uh, increasing gut permeability, or sometimes you'll hear it referred to as leaky gut, because uh, NSAIDs do uh, basically cause uh, blood to be thinner. They can cause tissues to be weaker in some cases in the gut, and so if there's a, a little bit of a microscopic leak of uh, of compounds in or out of the gut. that can definitely change the gut microbiome negatively. But, uh, you know, used occasionally, uh, they they are not uh, thought to be uh, harmful. Um, Outside of the gut microbiome, of course, using them a lot or frequently can affect your kidneys as well. Usually not an issue with young, healthy people, but um, over time, you know, it, it definitely gives your kidneys a lot of work to do by having NSAIDs on board all the time. So the best you can do with using, you know, Tylenol, which is not an NSAID, Tylenol is a lot, you know, may not work as well for some people, but um, it's less harmful to the body when used properly. Um, you know, it's processed by your liver pretty efficiently. And um, and of course, topical local anesthetics using like lidocaine patches or um, any sort of topical, uh, creams that you can rub in to help local areas may be um, a little bit better for for you, but the occasional use of NSAIDs you know is of course inevitable with for active um, healthy people, but just using it every day when not needed is, is may not be the best uh, the best thing to do
0: and then lastly steroids i we i don't think to my knowledge we don't have a lot of um steroid use for performance enhancement in dance but there might be a little bit of it out there and in, in other genres that I'm less familiar with um, but like I'm asthmatic I was actually attracted to dance because I'm a athletic person and I couldn't really do sports um, so that was part of my attraction so I've taken oral steroids for asthma and steroid injections of course um, do come up in dance as well so you know um, orthopedically so anything to say about that
1: yeah, steroids are are definitely, um, they have a strong effect on, on the immune system and, and really any sort of living organism within the body, like microbes, uh, because they basically slow down um, cell division. So they slow down, you know, the immune system relies on the ability to produce lots of white blood cells very quickly to fight off invaders. And so steroids... Slow that process down. They slow down the ability of the microbiome to, uh, to grow and to respond to its environment. So, uh, so taking steroids, whether that's by taking them orally or by being um, chronically stressed all the time and producing those natural steroids in your body all the time, is is not uh not a good thing. But uh, local steroid injection occasionally is. Uh, it's it's always great to target the the therapy again. So if you're able to inject the joint directly, occasionally, you know, it's not going to last forever, but that um, is a more local way to minimize your systemic exposure and your gut microbiome exposure to, to steroids. You know, the occasional asthma attack, you're going to be taking steroids for five days and um, hopefully that um, doesn't happen too often, but um, that, Uh, Oh, you know, in the long run should be, um, should be okay.
0: Good. And then before we get into sort of some closing thoughts, how resilient is the microbiome, the human microbiome? Because I'm definitely getting a picture from you that there is a lot of dynamic activity that's happening. And, you know, a lot of things sound like they can both enhance and damage the microbiome. And I'm wondering, like, are those um, effects... Long standing, or are they um, altered very quickly? What is the resilience of the microbiome?
2: Yeah, so um there have been you know some studies that are starting to look at this. You would really have to be studying someone over a long period of time to see. Um, how certain changes um, are affecting the gut microbiome and if those changes are lasting but the studies today have have shown that in a healthy adult microbiome so when we talked about diversity before and mike mentioned how that diversity can then um, make the microbiome more resilient so in health the, the, in the adult um, it's pretty stable over time and so there's been studies where people have looked you know every day for a couple months and have looked at the composition of their microbiome, and it stays pretty stable. And so the the interesting thing is um, is that the microbiome is is very individualized. So each person's microbiome is different. And so we can actually tell apart over time different people's microbiomes because it is it is generally stable. Um, and so other people might have more resilient microbiomes than others, and that we don't quite know yet why that is and how, but we're starting to learn about how we can modify the microbiome in someone that is, you know, suffering from a disorder, um, in order to make it more resilient. And the great thing about the gut microbiome is that it is modifiable. So, um, unlike, you know, human genetics um, and and other things that maybe we can't control as much, we know we can modify the microbiome. And so now it's it's teasing out ways to do that um, to make it more resilient um, in the face of those environmental stressors.
0: So for, for rounding this out here, um, how do we know if we have a problem with our microbiome? Who should be getting their microbiome checked out? What are the warning signs that there's an issue?
1: Well, right away you'll probably know if you're having some sort of chronic symptomatology. So if you have chronic gut issues, that's probably going to be an initial sign that there's probably you know, a microbiome-related issue going on. Um, but you don't always know, um, you know, what the what the root cause is for other symptoms. So if you have, um, let's say, this new skin issue that comes up out of nowhere, you start getting uh, rashes or acne, you know, later in life when you wouldn't expect it to happen, um, that could come back to the gut microbiome. There could be a problem there that's affecting the skin. Same with um, having other potential autoimmune issues, whether it's joint pain or just fatigue that's unexplained, that that could come back to the gut as well. And so those are the situations in which you'd wanna get a doctor who's friendly to looking into uh, a potential gut cause to your uh, your systemic symptoms. And uh, there are gut microbiome tests available. And again, uh, as Melissa had mentioned earlier, this is still in a phase of uh, development that is not quite ready for clinical prime time, but there are some good companies out there that are producing uh, products that are exploring the gut microbiome. And there are some doctors that are also interested in this and and learning a lot more uh, every year, more and more about how to potentially apply some of those clinical, uh, some of those results clinically so that they can actually uh, help you redefine your microbiome. Help uh, rethink how you should approach your diet and lifestyle to better uh, support healthy microbes in your in your gut. So uh, there are uh, some commercial tests available, and if you would like to uh, learn more about which might work for you, you can um, feel free to get in touch with uh, with our website at m2biome.com. Um, and we can certainly uh, point you in the right direction to uh, potentially something that could help uh, help your doctor make decisions about your health. Uh, if you're looking specifically for a, a doctor that may look into your gut um, or you look into your microbiome as a uh, potential uh, contributor to your chronic symptoms, whether that's gut, autoimmune, mood, uh, you might look for a doctor who has uh, some functional medicine training. So this is still a uh, a Western medicine practice, but it's a it's a physician who is um, still classically trained, but may look a little bit more into the root cause of certain issues rather than just you know treating symptoms. They will spend a little bit more time into looking into a potential root cause, and oftentimes that is the gut microbiome, and so they may be more friendly to ordering those gut microbiome tests and uh, interpreting those results. And then, you know, thinking about how to alter your, your gut health.
0: That's really helpful. This has been super informative. Um, is there anything else you want to add in terms of like resources or perspectives you want to share? Um, we'll include all of your contact info that you'd like to share in the show notes, but if there's other stuff you want to talk about before we sign off, now's the time.
1: Uh, well, um, yeah, again, I would just reiterate and, um, you know, a lot of doctors, uh, you know, mean well, but we were not taught in medical school, uh, about the, uh, the gut microbiome. Um, you know, they're kind of just starting to, to talk about that more mainstream in med school. So, um, you know, get, get your doctor interested in, in the subject if you can. Uh, and if, if if not, um, like I said, find a functional medicine doctor, um, and of course, m2biome.com has some more resources about that. You feel free to reach out to us if you'd like more um, more info on your specific situation, and we'd be happy to help.
0: Melissa, anything from from you?
2: Yeah, I mean, going more on the scientific side, I think for someone to really think about if they're even if they're healthy or you know wondering how their gut microbiome is doing, thinking about it, thinking from the ecology perspective and thinking about it as an ecosystem, like we mentioned in the very beginning, is really helpful when you start to think about your diet. And um, basically, it's an ecosystem of different of different types of bacteria that are going to be healthy and, and um, thriving based on what they're exposed to in the environment. So basically, what you're and you are in control of that. so what you are feeding to your gut microbiome is, is what you're eating. Um, and if and if you're giving them the food that they need to to thrive, like we talked about fiber and, and plant um, and plant materials and, and all these things, then that you'll be in a better position to um, you know enhancing that that healthy diverse microbiome. Um, and so if you just think about what, you need to create this healthy environment, that's how your microbiome is going to respond.
0: All right. Thank you both so much for doing this. Um, It was a real pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, it's been great. Likewise. Thanks for having
1: us. This was a lot of fun.
0: On behalf of Marissa and myself, I, Ellie Kushner, want to say thank you to all of our listeners for joining us on this episode of Dance Podcast. Our intro soundscape was composed by the dynamic duo Brendan Berry and Dylan Ezzi, and dancer designer Katie Dean crafted our visual image. To those of you who have made this season possible by contributing to DanceWell, we are infinitely grateful. We wouldn't be where we are without you. Your donations help pay for our SoundCloud membership, website fees and upgrades, and art recording technology. If you too would like to make a donation, To Dance Well, please follow the link in the description of this podcast to visit our GoFundMe page. We thank you in advance for your support. And lastly, if you like what you hear, we invite you to go to iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud and search Dance Well Podcast to subscribe. You can also view all of our episodes and learn more about this podcast by visiting our website, www.dancewellpodcast.com. And if you have any questions or want to get in touch, email us at dancewellpodcast at gmail.com. Bye.